Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We're cruising our way through the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse by St. John, the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ, to use the language of the opening of the book. It's a doozy. We've been through the seven seals. We've been through six of the seven trumpets. Last time was chapter nine. That gave us uh, trumpets five and six. And we get this business of... uh, everybody's not repenting and this judgment that goes forth. Again, the big point there, uh, as the seals are opened, as the trumpets broadcast the word, this is the judgment that takes place even right here and now throughout the the church of all times and places. And then before we get to the the seventh trumpet, which is actually not given to us until the end of chapter 11, We get a kind of interlude again. This is so typical of John, typical of Revelation, where in between the 6th and the 7th, you get a kind of pause. Let's give you a a look at something before we give you the 7th and final culmination of something. We had that before already, six seals, and then the 7th, before the 7th, you have this chapter 7, 144,000. Let me just show you the one church that lives in heaven and earth at the same time before we go to that number 7, the final consummation of all things. Same with these trumpets. You get the first six, and then wait, wait, wait. Before we do the seventh, we're going to tell you about the life of the church from both an individual and a corporate perspective. That's chapters 10 and 11. And really, these two go together. We're going to focus on just 10 today. I love 10, by the way. Super favorite chapter of mine. Uh, It's not too long, only 11 verses. 10, I would say, is about what... uh, the individual perspective, life in the church in this kind of sixth day time before we reach the seventh, the consummation of all things, life in the church from an individual's perspective, and that's John. And then uh, chapter 11 will be life in the church uh, from a corporate, more corporate uh, perspective. I'll say more about that next time. But chapter 10, without further ado, we should just read this before I keep going on this without you having heard the text. So here we go. Um, Chapter 10 reads as follows. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servant the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is 
open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Alrighty, so there we have the text of Revelation chapter 10. Kind of a unique perspective here. Again, this is we have this angel and John. There's sort of a one-on-one situation, and yet there's there's there are things here about, I would say, what it means to live in the life of the church, and uh, John uh, as representative of an individual in the church. So let's first things first. You'll notice we got another angel. So Revelation's full of angels. This one is what another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Okay, this language of coming down from heaven, very rich. Jerusalem at the end of the book, the heavenly city will be coming down from heaven. Notice this language of uh, how this angel is dressed, clothed with a cloud, wrapped with a cloud. Clothing is first. This is such a big revelation thing. Clothing first. Why? Because that's available to you right here, right now. Believers, the white garments, clothed. This woman, we'll see in chapter 12, clothed with the sun. That's Christ. Guess what? This one, too, a cloud. Um, This is exactly the language of the Son of Man that we see already in the first chapter. You remember that, verse uh, 7. He's coming with the clouds. Here's this angel uh, wrapped in a cloud. And the sun was upon his head. Wait a minute. The sun, that's also in chapter 1, the initial son of man vision. And what is this? The face like the sun. Wait a minute. Oh, sorry. Rainbow upon his head. That's also in chapter 1, this language of head. Rainbow, by the way, is only in 4 verse 3. So you get this sense of you have the cloud, you have a rainbow, you have a sun, face like the sun. That's also son of man. And his feet as pillars of fire. Fire was also part of the Son of Man. Feet, also part of the Son of Man. So you get this. This angel is basically, this is very much in the stead and by the command of the Son of Man. I take this angel to be, like so many other angels, uh, highlighting to us particular aspects of the person and work of Christ. Standing in the stead and by the command of Christ. Notice bringing all this heavenly stuff, rainbow, sun, uh, cloud, all bringing this down, bringing heaven to earth, bringing heaven to us, to John, and uh, giving us a place prepared in the wilderness of this world. Notice the language of pillars of fire. I mean, one thing, pillars of fire. Oh, my. Um, lots to say here. First things first, the language of pillar is used already in the book of Revelation. You'll remember chapter 3, you stay faithful, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You'll have this, you'll be part of the temple. And again, notice this language of the architectural, this holy space, the place, it's grounded, 
anybody hearing this would be, oh yeah, we have a place already right here, right now. It's the divine service. We have a place, this, uh, the language of pillar also is, okay, in the tabernacle, in the temple, this fire and pillar, okay? So we have this, like, this is, this is language that's grounded. All this heavenly stuff is rooted, it's grounded. Pillars aren't just floating around. Pillars are grounded. At the same time, I love the business of pillar of fire because... On the one hand, it's rooted, it's grounded, it's a pillar. It suggests a particular place where the Lord is active, giving his gifts, word and sacrament and so on. At the same time, pillar of fire is exactly what the people needed to be led through the wilderness. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. It also suggests this kind of, you are on the wilderness journey of the the pilgrimage through this world. This is what you follow. This is your, your place of refuge. This is also uh, the one who leads you through the wilderness of this world. All that is suggested by this first verse. Okay, now he has a little, in his hand, he has a little scroll open. It's a word for scroll, but like a, a little scroll. All right. And again, think, oh, wait, the scroll, we already had, the lamb opened up the scroll already. And here we have this minister, you would say, this angel, this messenger of the Lord with the scroll in his hand. That hand language also was used with the Son of Man. He put his right hand on me. Here we have this. He has a little scroll open in his hand. Again, it's already been opened. The Lamb opens the scriptures for us. Then the servants of the word broadcast them, proclaim them. And he put his right foot on the sea and the left one on the land, kind of an odd, I guess on the one hand, what? This one uh, is covering all the grounds, both the sea and the land, both the water and the land. Okay, so we have that. Um, it is also interesting that it's the right foot on the sea. I don't know exactly. My hunch here is it has something. The right hand, we've seen the right, the business of the right is very important. In the book of Revelation, the right hand, the one who sits at the right hand, this language is in our creeds and so on. The right hand is the saving hand. It's the hand by which you do things like forgive sins and give life and so on. So God works through the one who is at his right hand to give us forgiveness, life, and salvation. The right foot, the right hand, this is also a very priestly thing. You read about the ordination of a priest in the book of Exodus, for example. And what are they doing? at Leviticus... What are they doing at the ordination of a pre-exodus? You'll see this. They put the blood on what? The right toe, the right finger, the right ear. So the right side, the right, it's your acting hand, the hand by which you do things. I think the reason why, if I had to go for it on why the right foot on the sea, I think there's some sort of saving. The right side, it's a priestly, the saving side. It's, I think it has something to do with saving through the sea. Right foot on the sea, is there some sort of saving through the sea that will happen? Well, we'll see this later in Revelation chapter 15, for example, very baptismal. There are two waters in Revelation, as it were. One is total chaos, kind of pseudo-baptism or an anti-baptism. And the other is uh, the baptism-baptism, the good waters, the one that the Son of Man works through and extends uh, through those who are in his stead and by his command to work through. So that's my... 
it might have something to do with saving through water. Right foot on the water, on the sea, called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. This lion um, also is very, I mean, this, this sounds like, again, there's it's kind of two ways to go with this. On the one hand, the Lord roars from Zion, Amos says. He's like a lion very often in the Minor Prophets. And yet at the same time, uh, the lion, well, you know, you read Peter and it's what? Oh, we also have the lion in chapter 5, of course. Uh, the lion from the tribe of Judah. So this one speaks like Christ, looks like Christ, roars like Christ, has the strength like Christ, you know, this kind of woe. At the same time, you know, the devil himself prowls around like a roaring lion. And so you have to be, as you go through Revelation, you have this two kinds of of lion going on. Uh, you want to be with the right one. So this one roars like a lion, cries out, um, we called out the seven thunders stopped. This is very odd. The seven thunders, sorry, the seven thunders sounded. And when they sounded, John was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said. Do not write it down. Kind of an interesting business here. So what's going on? Literally in verse 4, or sorry, verse 3, um, spoke the seven thunders with their own voices. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, and I heard the voice out of heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders said and do not write it down. And so this is kind of a uh, this is kind of puzzling, and there's a lot of debate on what this means. And my sense here is that it has something to do with the seven thunders, what they are saying, already being taken care of in some way. It doesn't need to be written down. Thunders elsewhere. I'll kind of tell you how I'm processing this. Thunders elsewhere in the Book of Revelation. Uh, they don't really speak, but here the language is the seven thunders spoke. Uh, in verse at the end of verse three, seven thunders spoke their own voices or sounds. Elsewhere, the thunders when thunders is used in the plural, it's referring to those uh, like the voices of of the saints. Um, you look in verse chapter six, verse one. He hears the four living creatures as the sound of a thunder saying, "Come." Um, and you hear, see in f chapter 14 as well, uh, in 14 verse 2 and 14 verse 6, um, you have this like loud voice as thunder, loud thunder, sound of loud thunder um, for the 144. And then you have thunder mentioned, thunders mentioned elsewhere. In 19.6, it sounds like the, I heard this, you can see, did I say 14.6? I meant 19.6. You have the thunders mentioned there, and that is what? I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of many peals of thunder. I think that the business is something to do with the, cr the cries or the prayers of the saints, and they're now being fulfilled in what is happening. They don't need to be written down. Don't write them down. Seal up what they've said. Preserve it. This language of seal it up, uh, Isaiah with his disciples, you look at chapter 8, verse 16, seal up, bind up the testimony, preserve it. 
And yet at the same time, don't write it down because it's being fulfilled right now. Their prayers, anything that they're longing for, whatever's causing any restlessness, it's being taken care of right now. Here's how. Stay tuned. And it'll be with what happens to John. That's my take on the seventh. Time. Very tricky business, but I think that's has something to do with this business of it is being fulfilled right now. You stay tuned, and uh, you'll see that with John. Speaking of staying tuned, we got to take a break, but stay tuned. We'll be right back. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin, is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org and clicking on the contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, folks. We are back with our study of Revelation chapter 10. We just kind of talked through this business of seven thunders. I hope that Sort of made sense as to far as far as what my thinking was there. Sometimes in Revelation, there are very humbling moments where it's like, well, I think there's it has something to do with this, and that's that's where we're at. And you uh, and you keep moving. Um, and so here we have uh, what happens next. What the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land. This is repeated multiple times. This business of you got to know this angel was standing on the sea and on the land. Um, raised his right hand to heaven, swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven, and what is in it, the earth, and what is in it, the sea, and what is in it, that there be no more delay. But then the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God will be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servant, the prophets. First things first is, he raised his hand, the right one, to heaven. Now, I think this is the same one that has that scroll in it. So he raised this scroll up to heaven, puts his hand up there. The uh, This sounds like an oath, doesn't it? That he's swearing. He swears by the one who made everything. So he's carrying out this oath being via the, the right hand, the hand with the scroll in it. I love that. So you can picture somebody raising this scroll up. You know, place your hand on this Bible. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I'll say more about that later, but just kind of get that visual in there. Raising up the hand with the scroll in it up to heaven to swear by the one who created everything that in the days of the trumpet by the seventh, the mystery of God will be fulfilled just as he has announced to his servants the prophets. So 
there is this don't write down with the seven thunders. I promise, swear, that it will all be fulfilled. The mystery of God will be fulfilled just as he announced to his servant the prophets. Okay, um, he will fulfill his purposes. The language of fulfill here is the same one that's the word that it'll be accomplished, it'll be fulfilled. The word from the cross, it is finished. Okay, um, later on in verse chapter 11, we'll hear that when they have finished or fulfilled their testimony, uh, we'll have this like, when the word of the Lord goes forth and accomplishes all the purposes for which he sent it. That's this mystery, by the way. Revolution, Revelation, Revolution, Revelation uses the term mystery here and there throughout the book to kind of to give you this idea of the Lord's plan being fulfilled maybe in a way that you wouldn't have expected uh, or something standing for something else, the mystery that you saw, the seven stars in my right hand. Think back to chapter 1 again. The mystery here is um, how this will be fulfilled, this life of the church, what the prophets will do, how the word goes forth. This mystery will be fulfilled. And the language of his servants, the prophets, are used elsewhere for believers, for the witnesses, for his church, for the word going forth through pastors and also through people, that the Lord will preserve his word. He will work through his word and make sure, again, it accomplishes all the things um, for which he sends it. If you look later in chapter 11, again, a lot of these terms, This I'm going to keep referencing 11, and when we get to 11, I'll keep referencing 10. But in 11, you learn more about this. When they finish their testimony, the two witnesses we'll see there that stand for the church in chapter 11, they'll finish their testimony. And also, uh, if you look down at 11, verse 10, um, this language of prophets, these two prophets, it stands for those who proclaim the word, those who share the word. Um, Again, this mystery here in chapter 10 is he swears that the Lord's word will go forth, it will be fulfilled according to his good and gracious purposes. That's what's going on here. Now, again, why are we not writing down these the seven? It has something to do with why we're not writing down these seven thunders. The Lord will fulfill his purposes. He's heard your prayers. He's fulfilling them even right here, right now, as the word goes forth. It might be a mystery to you as to, and we'll see in 11, it's like, the mystery involves even having to suffer for this, and yet how he works through suffering to accomplish his good purposes. We'll see that in more in chapter 11. That's part of this mystery. That's why it's a mystery, because it's, boy, that's not exactly what we would have expected. And also, how is it that we don't need to write down what the seven thunders have said even right now? Well, take a look at how he's providing and fulfilling even right here, right now, in John. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. This is fascinating. Okay. Um, The language of again only happens in chapter 10. Only in verse 8 and verse 11. Again, it suggests repeated activity. Okay. And this voice that spoke with him, the language of with me, is used in chapter 1. Son of man, with me. Go 
receive the book, the one that's already been opened by the Lamb, from the hand of the one. Why couldn't this one just tell me? But he sees, he hears this voice from heaven. This is a heavenly voice, heavenly directions. Go receive that. Okay. Uh, again, and John departed. He went out from the angel. Okay, the language that's used here in the Greek. I went out from the angel and or went to the angel, sorry, to the angel, saying to him, Give to me the book, the scroll. Okay. Give me this day (laughs) my daily bread, you might say. And he said to me, listen carefully, take and eat. Okay. Let me say that again. Take and eat. I don't think anybody in the first century (laughs) hearing this would be like, you know what? I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. Take and eat. I take this as an allusion to the Lord's Supper. This is the instruction for John. This is what it looks like to look in the church, to live in the church. Take and eat. By the way, this language that's used here for eat is totally loaded. We'll see this next time in chapter 11. Um, if anyone harms God's people, in the language of chapter 11, is fire pours out from their mouth and consumes them, literally eats them up. So it's either you eat this scroll or you are eaten by what is being proclaimed by the people of the church. There's a play on words there. And later we'll see this too with the dragon, the woman and the dragon. The woman gives birth and the, and the dragon wants to eat or consume the child only for a very different purpose. So the church consumes the scroll made flesh. And yet the dragon wants to consume that same scroll, that same word made flesh, for a much different purpose. John's playing with this word throughout. It's very rich. You'll either, you're either consuming this scroll made flesh or you're being consumed by the witness of those who are consuming this scroll made flesh. Take and eat. We'll say more about that as we go along. And John says that uh, it'll make your stomach, he says to me, it'll make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth will be sweet as honey. This is both a law and a gospel kind of thing. It is very sweet. Uh, what? The word of the Lord is sweeter than honey and, you know, better than silver and gold and all these things. At the same time, the the substance, what's in the stomach being digested, this is going to involve some tough stuff, hard to swallow stuff. It'll be bitter in your stomach. At first glance, I mean, on great, eternal life, salvation, all those things are wonderful. But at the same time, theology of the cross, suffering that's involved by having this word, preaching this word, being connected to this word, consuming this word, um, that might lead to some bitterness. That might lead to some, some ouchies, as it were. I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it in my stomach, it made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy to many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. I love this language of again, again. It's only used here in chapter 10. You must again speak the word. Okay, and you have both... um, the word, oh, prophesy, you'll see this elsewhere, chapter 11, verse 3, prophesy for 1260 days. The church speaks the word. That's what it means to prophesy 
the language of prophesy here has in Revelation has to do with speaking the word. So what happens to John in chapter 10 is this. Take and eat. Again, take and eat. Again, take and eat. And then again, you must prophesy again. It is necessary for you again to prophesy. You must prophesy again. Take and eat. You must prophesy again. And then in chapter 11, this is why these two go together, you'll see, speak the word even unto death, and I will raise you up to new life. And then repeat, take and eat. You must prophesy again. Speak that word again. Prophesy, speak that word even unto death, chapter 11, and I will give you a breath of resurrected life, also in chapter 11. That's the story for the church corporate. This, chapter 10, a picture of what it looks like to be an individual in the church. I think John is totally representative of the church. Take and eat, you must speak again, prophesy again. You have the eating, you have the word and deed, all in this, I took and I ate. You must speak again. This is the life of the church as seen from an individual perspective. And then chapter 11, we'll see more from the corporate side of things. They go together. Uh, but this is, the, this is the life of the Christian right here. Take and eat. Yes, it'll be bitter in the stomach, you know, the substance of the thing. We're dealing with cross. We're dealing with affliction, persecution, and so on to hold on to this word, to have this word, to consume this word. And yet it is sweet. Any afflictions that we happen to go through right now are but a drop in the bucket, not even worth comparing to to the glory that is to be revealed to us because of this word that endures forever, because of the word made flesh. Um, that we partake of in the sacrament who endures forever and gives eternal life. So great stuff here in Revelation 10. Again, what doozy, one of my favorites. We're going to pick it up with 11 next time. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord.